Welcome! We are talking Dungeons and Dragons today. Hopefully you guys will be enjoying us. We'll be starting in just a minute or so. I can't believe that's our whole thing. That is kind of our whole <laughs> thing, is talking Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. We want to thank you guys for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, and I just hit your mic, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles like an underused monster in your fancy world, and... Turns out it's not a short list. Right? <laughs> yeah, it turns out that list is far longer than People we had ever... People much prefer to go back to the generic, here's a goblin, here's a here's a kobold, and here's an orc, and um, that's it. And here's your friendly, not nice elves. <laughs> uh, I'm really excited for our main topic today. As you can see up above, we're going to be discussing the five most underused monsters in Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I want... I was going to say, according to a post that yes. we made. <laughs> I want to preface this. This is based uh, collectively on people who follow our Facebook and our Twitter as polls, which is, um, I think there was 300 or so uh, interactions. So um, yeah. it's not the grand scheme of everything. It's just, you know, what we come up with. It's just what we're going with for the time being. Yes. Uh, with that, um, I'd like to start off with a word from our sponsors. Um, we have... Uh, if you haven't checked it out, we're talking monsters today, and one of my favorite monsters are the ones that are fleshed out. Monsters can be so much more than just the the stat blocks that they come from. Um, we yeah. released, uh, we kickstarted last year, Memorable Monsters. It is now available at our That's website, CritAcademy.com. You get 50 fully fleshed out monsters. They have backstories, backgrounds, personalities, flaws, bonds. We give you a collection of different ways to introduce them into your stories and campaigns as a merchant, as an NPC ally, as a villain, as a tour guide. Whatever our writers came up with, they have a plethora of different options. And what makes it so much fun is that you get to use these monsters in ways you probably wouldn't have thought otherwise, which is fantastic. Yeah. So if that sounds like something you want to do, Head on over to CritAcademy.com and check out our Memorable Monsters book. Um, and I want to thank, once again, all of our backers who uh, helped bring that project to life. With that, let's move on to our main topic, our five most underused D&D monsters. Woo! Let's be honest, the world of Dungeons & Dragons has hundreds, even thousands of monsters for the Dungeon Master to choose from. Yeah. And as I guess I have joking before the show even started, I'm like, you can open up the index, close your eyes, slam your finger down on the page, and you will probably hit a monster you've never even seen in the game before. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but we can often find ourselves using the same monsters on a regular basis. Before we got started and early in, I think, I don't know if it picked up, but we talked about uh, goblins and kobolds and orcs kind of being the go-to monsters for mm -hmm. all D&D groups, generally. And they can almost even get overused sometimes, I think. Yeah. Um, so, um, but there are always way more interesting monsters to flesh out your adventures and story with. We polled our audience, 
and discovered that, um, what are the five most underused monsters in D&D? In this episode, not only will we be discussing the monsters mechanically, but from a flavor and lore-wise in a myriad of different ways of how you can include them and get the most out of your D&D experience using these monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys have any questions or anything you want to cover before we delve into it, or should we just get right into it? Let's just dive right in. I agree. All right. The first monster we are going to talk about today is the Galeb Durr. Now, if you don't know, the Galeb Durr is a boulder-like elemental creature with stumpy appendages that act as arms and legs. Uh, it is the ability to animate the rocks and boulders around it and thus usually is encountered in mountainous or rocky terrain Mm -hmm. the unique features of this creature really put it a stone's throw away from necromancers that's one of the things that i like about it they because they can magically animate the the boulders they can instantly increase their their numbers they can go from four to eight like that which can just throw your um your your adventurers for a loop never mind the fact that they can ambush even the most observant adventurer because they have the false appearance trait on Mm -hmm. their stat block in fifth edition which i think is really great because it doesn't matter how high your perception is when it comes to uh, a feature like this they can't tell the difference that is the core of the feature which means what about these monsters you guys they can be right there, and you wouldn't even know it. <laughs> yes. Um, I love the idea of the adventurers going to take a rest, and then sitting on some stumps, and then either at night or waking up, and the rocks and stuff they were sitting on just turned into volatile enemies who are waking up for the, the day or the night or whatever time period it is. Um, I think this makes for a, a great monster. Um, before I give any more of my own thoughts on it, do you guys have any thoughts on this uh, monster? I actually already have a comparison that you can probably make this that is a commonly used monster. So we're all very familiar with the mimic. Everyone yep. is. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows what the fucking mimic is. <laughs> <laughs> the Galeb Durr <laughs> is essentially nature's mimic. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That can multiply itself. That can multiply itself. So... You can put this bad boy, your all of your adventurers, your adventuring party is just sitting in the forest, right? Yeah. And they're just kind of doing whatever. They're you know, fucking around. Who cares? They're adventurers. <laughs> they're doing something. They're doing something. They're probably <laughs> intending to burn the whole thing down, probably. Uh, but uh, with the Galeb Durr, as much as like what uh, Justin just said, uh, you can just put these guys down and your adventurers will quite literally be sitting on them. And... <laughs> Oops, we screwed up because you just sat on a Gale of Dirt and it's probably mad that it was just used as a chair. <laughs> it's it's worth noting that these creatures are intelligent. They have an intellect of 11, which means they can <laughs> reason. Than a and, yeah, right? <laughs> Sorry than a com- Well, uh, I've never seen no talking, walking, rocking my day. Oh, not another one of you. <laughs> and they speak Terran. Hmm. That's cool. And that actually brings me uh, to a couple points. So first, the fact that they are intelligent means they can be reasoned with, they can be um, um, bribed, they can be um, influenced in a myriad of different ways during the the Mm -hmm. encounter, which makes them super fun. Because 
they don't have, I mean, in here, they're neutral. Uh, in the 5e manual, they're neutral. So they're not even necessarily going to be aggressive, which yeah. means the dungeon master can really play with that a lot. You might have, you know, the party surrounded by four Golubder, and one is grumpy, like the, uh, the, the one of the seven dwarves, and another one is sleepy. And you can easily portray these different personalities um, in this and having them discussion. And mm-hmm. what I really like is that because they're smart they could potentially outwit the adventurers themselves. Um, <laughs> and that's something that I find absolutely incredible. And let's be real here. Sometimes it's not difficult to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Adventurers aren't always the smartest little bastards out there. No. Um, so let's talk about some of the, the battle battle mechanics of these bad boys. Obviously, they're elementals, which is, this is a CR6, so it's a pretty good low-level elemental to, to, yeah. to toss. Or I can see a clan of these being kind of like running a bunch of, uh, like a... Um, like a like a mining corporation or something, right? Okay. Um, that's something that. that's interesting to me. Right? Having these run like a, a mining business. Um, looking at their mechanics, they're resistant to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical weapons, which means they can take a hell of a, a blow, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Actually, I think all of the elementals have that, don't they? Uh, at least the stone ones at least, do. Because I think well, even I think... like the ice and the fire elementals have that as well. They so, yep. um, <clears throat> kind of makes sense. That's also something that uh, is a part of the reason why some DMs run into the challenge of monsters not being strong enough. Mm-hmm. Because if I recall correctly, the initial design uh, was for no magical items needed to conquer the challenges. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, so uh, they're immune to exhaustion. That means they can they can basically chase. <laughs> they're infinite. <laughs> yeah, they can chase the adventures indefinitely. <laughs> that goes really, really well with what, you guys? Their speed. Rolling, they have a speed that goes from 30 when, uh, 15 feet, or 30 foot when rolling, or 60 feet when rolling downhill. So if you're running downhill, they're just going <laughs> to mow you over like a giant boulder, and I think that's awesome. That's actually really good. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, comical how uh, how natural <laughs> that that is. <laughs> they actually do give it as a uh, an attack. They got it called rolling charge. So if they move at least 20 feet straight towards the target and slam it, it does bl- extra bludgeoning damage and forces a saving throw to be knocked prone. So okay. if you like battlefield um, uh, dynamic dynamic battlefields, this is something that is just great because um, they can. An- we talked about how they can animate boulders, right? They can do it once a day. Each one can do it. Yep. Yep. So nothing's to say that they don't animate a boulder up at the top and just have it rolled down. And in what seems like a, just a random avalanche quickly becomes you surrounded by more enemies. Yep. I think this is just fantastic, and is surprisingly. It, it has many caveats that I think is great. It doesn't speak common though, nope. so you can. Yep. We talked about uh, being able to kind of potentially negotiate with them. This would be a great opportunity for one of the players to really expand on their language set, mm-hmm. right? Or if they've got a spell that does the same. I know, like uh, some, because like, and this is also kind of a because I think uh, if you know Primordial, you can speak yep. Terran, right? Yep. Yeah. So I mean, like, you can. Yeah. I know, like, some people really like to use like. Uh, other languages in their game or at least attempt to and i know that can be kind of hard because well i mean you need a plethora of monsters to use a plethora of languages <laughs> yes. uh this is a great way to kind of again to introduce something new to your table where mm-hmm. um <coughs> if you really want to like accentuate a player for taking this so-and-so language 
you can kind of throw one of these at them and suddenly uh, all of the other players are like, why do you know this language? Uh, why do you know primordial <laughs> of all things? And you're just like, oh, uh, my dad was uh, he was a summoner and he talked to other <laughs> elemental beings. I don't know. <laughs> I think so, it's good. Uh, there's a, it, it's those little things in the in the monster stat block that isn't the numbers right. that really do offer you kind of things to do yeah. uh, with the monsters when they're not just inherently evil and want to kill you. Yes, I'm I'm a fan of those type of monsters personally. Ian, do you got anything? I see he's he's hammering down on the chat. Yeah, I'm just picturing like uh, a few Galador sitting on top of like a mountain or a cliff, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to the players, and then just sitting there going, "We control these guys," <laughs> <laughs> and just creating like their uh, enemy of boulders just to screw around with them. That's funny. I love that. <laughs> um, the one other thing I would like to touch on before we move on to the next one, um, there's a there's a subtle uh, thing that makes it easy to introduce variation to these because they're made of stone. You can make them of different elements. Mm-hmm. So you could have a traditional rocky one, but maybe you've got one made out of gold, or another one made out of uh, what is the what is the hard hardest metal adamantine? adamantine? Yeah, adamantine. like how amazing would that be? Like you would have a boss you can't one crit right, on right? this thing, um, and you, you can All do a lot with that. Um, even if it's not mechanical, even if it's just flavor, describing four uh, boulder men, one made of rock, the other one looks like he's made made of like magma. He's got little fire going through them. maybe add a little fire touch to them if you want yeah like, like it's this. a great way to get more flavor out of it mm-hmm. so one could have been made out of like magma rock so it has like resistance oh, to fire I love it's it. it really is just that simple liquid hot magma <laughs> everything else is the same it's just it's suddenly resistant to fire uh i uh so unless you guys got anything else i think that we could probably move on to the the next monster what do you guys think yeah i think we're good yeah well, i think we got a, a good chunk out of it <laughs> more than i would have expected to be honest it's a rock <laughs> but it moves and it can talk that's about all it does and as someone said in the chat it is likely stronger than your average party's barbarian yes um... <laughs> well smarter anyway <laughs> <laughs> what is our next monster we have the fomorian now, I honestly, uh, sometime last year, I became a fan of this monster because I was looking through <clears throat> for some good variants, and this really just hit me home. The Fomerians are an ancient and wicked race, native to the Underdark of the Feywild. I did not know the Feywild had its own Underdark. Did you guys know that? Yep. Oh, I did, I did actually know, know. I did not. That's kind of weird to think about. Yeah. <laughs> I thought sense, it was like a place in the material realm, but apparently it's got like a, a, an opposite. Anyways, uh, they live in eerily beautiful caves of incredible sizes. Um, glowing crystals and bioluminescent fungi light these places where Fomorians rule as monarchs over courts of sinister fae. That is, that just sets such an amazing like mm-hmm. mental image. Um, these giants were once creatures of beauty until they were cursed after attempting to enslave everything in the Feywild. Yeah, yeah. Like, what kind of, what? Like, what? <laughs> Maybe um, don't do that. Aside from their <laughs> massive clubs that can fell an entire contingent of soldiers in a single swoop, they utilize their evil eye attacks to deal psychic damage. Ha <laughs> ha, you barbarians are out of luck. <laughs> something that can really help deal uh with these features um and spells that 
ward or reduce uh, uh, damage is uh, something that's rare, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think psychic damage is one of the only ones that had like a barbarian can't be resistant to. Um, one of the very few, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of their most noticeable, uh, most notable features, though, is their ability to pass on their curse to others. Yeah. Like cool. holy crap! Uh their curse and it deforms and destroys the ability, the the visual, the way the creature looks, and their 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 ability their ability scores. Um, the creatures are basically stuck in this form until they finish a long rest where they get a chance to save against it. Now. So, first of all, from a flavor standpoint, this thing is just, these things are just horrendously ugly. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, it's it's gross. Uh, and unlike the Dalebgur, they, they are evil. Um, they're chaotic evil, so they're not even, yep. I mean, the only hierarchy they seem to have is the... Uh, Themselves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I just think is really cool. I love the idea of them being, I mean, they're giants. Let's start off with that. They're not, I mean, these are giants. They're huge. In in, uh, size. So these big lumbering oafs um, are not, they're not, I mean, they're not dumb. They got a nine intelligence. So they can make, I would say they're definitely smarter than like ogres. Again, still a little bit smarter than your party's average barbarian. (laughs) (laughs) Just want to point that out there. Um, So there's a lot you can do with this. Like I said, I didn't know that there was an underdark in the Feywild. So now I all of a sudden in my mind am imagining all these different versions of creatures that exist like a purple worm in the fey wild that like phases like the phase spider or something <laughs> where instead of like burrowing oh, God, it jumps to that. burrow and it just phases out of existence and comes back like that to me as a dm just sounds oh, no. awesome and so much full of uh, opportunity yeah you can do it actually just in general i guess if you just want to have fun by just making random mutations to your monsters just jump your players into the fey wild yeah i don't yeah. know how you do it just say you did and, and once you get them there, head on over to our episode where we talk about the Metamorphica, where it has D100, t- D100 tables up the wazoo of random mutations. Uh, really good stuff. <laughs> so, uh, before we get into the real mechanics of this, what are some of the lore stuff you guys think that can really drive a good story, uh, That you could how you could fit them in? In the last, we talked about the Galeb using it as like a tool to introduce, you know, uh, a potential, you know... <laughs> Galeb der merchant, you know, who mines <laughs> stuff, right? How would you utilize uh, a Fomorian from a uh, like a hook perspective? So, uh, I actually, when I heard the lore of it, because this is obviously the first time I really heard it, um, the real, the big thing that really got me is they were once creatures of beauty. Yeah. So now you can play with that because maybe there is one that sucks because there's always one that somehow didn't get cursed, and now Ooh. you get to play with the idea of what this beautiful thing is and you realize that it's one in the same of the same things that is currently hideous and you're like how the, how are you guys the same oh dude so i love that you can really i think uh do you think they're bent out of shape about it like could your bar be like hey man what the hell happened to you, you used to be good looking now you look like somebody beat you with a tree <laughs> Maybe, like, I mean... Pull on those heartstrings. Oh, I used to be beautiful. And, like, uh, I don't know. You could... And, like, maybe that Fomorian, for whatever reason, maybe, like, the curse also affected their alignment. So, like, maybe that, because he's still retained his beauty, or she, I guess. No, apparently they were always a-holes. <laughs> apparently. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's how they got cursed, because they were they tried to Oh, yeah, you're right, it. yeah. They were beautiful, but, like, we should rule. And they, but they, I still like where his thoughts were going. And they were apparently a lot more smart. <laughs> 
Yeah, they're, I, they're oh. not. They're, they've lost some of that clearly. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that first comes to me is looking at it from a mechanics perspective, and I think we might have did this on the show before. Um, it's power to change other creatures and deform them. I think we did do an encounter where we talked about having uh, a Fomorian coming up through some tunnels and start changing strangers as they're passing through we did, a, yeah. a valley. And so this valley is all of a sudden flooded with these monstrosities and ventures are called to slay them. And it just turns out it's the people from the village and travelers passing through mm-hmm. that stumbled across this thing in this valley. So that makes for a great one because the people that are transformed aren't innately bad but no hero is going to stop and ask him that in most cases yeah. so all the adventures are going to charge in and murder all these people these monstrously deformed creatures that are wearing merchants coats in bards clothing and carrying a loot on his back and these things date back to even first edition of D&D so they've been around wow, for a they've while. been around for a while i only went back to the 4e and 5e lore but and uh, i won't be shocked if their evil eye features be way worse <laughs> yeah well why don't we talk about some of the mechanics first of all it is a cr8 creature um, so this, to me, makes for a great, like, uh, boss or... Yeah, like or, a second-tier adventure yeah, boss monster or, or something. Or yeah. a boss that's working for somebody else. But it doesn't sound like they do very well working for other people. Yeah, it sounds like they only really care about themselves, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, but it looks like they're also pretty keen on uh, controlling anything around them. Right, so. right. I could definitely see this being a boss monster in some way, shape, or form. Especially with uh, all the actions it has. And I guess you could even... Probably, like, include some legendary actions. I'm sure you could do a you little know, homework on it. So we just talked about the encounter we discussed about them transforming. Yep. What if they're trying to raise an army and are offering power and opportunity to people to come and work for them and then transforming them? And they build their own army uh, using their evil eye power. I could see. That's pretty good. Yeah. I that like that. Sounds, that <laughs> that sounds, sounds awesome. Like, yeah. you find out this Fomorian is That's... building an army to assault uh, and take over... Uh, a, a new portion area. of the Underdark or something. Yeah. Trying or, to regain control. We're trying to take control of an, a Feywild area again, like mm-hmm. they did once before and fail. Anyway, so, wow. uh, powers. They do get multi-attack, which is worth noting because I love any multi-attack because it lets me grapple and push and shove all at once, which is great. Yep. Um, they're not particularly uh, resilient, I would say. It's surprisingly, Actually, yeah. I would expect them to have some sort of resistance, but they don't. Yep, but they, they do have a lot of hit points. Yeah, they do have a surprisingly high hit point. Uh, Wishy they are not <laughs> right um so their powers obviously they wield great clubs if you're a dm i always encourage the dms that use great clubs to take that with a grain of salt my ogres have great clubs but they're just giant tree trunks because that is way more interesting i've once had my players ver- uh, fighting uh in, in an ogre or a giant or something in a cave so it just ripped a stalactite right off the ceiling was beating him with it because we can do better than just it's a weapon. What would they use around to make a weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with creatures that aren't of super high intelligence. It's just whatever's nearby, right? Right. Uh, let's talk about the evil eye for a minute. Uh, the Fomorian uh, magically forces a creature to concede to make a DC 14 saving throw, and they take psychic damage on a failed uh, or half as much on a uh, successful save. So we're doing outright um, psychic damage, which we know is one that's harder to avoid. Um, if not the hardest, yeah. actually. And then, of course, the curse of the eye. Um, when it stares, the Fomorian can use the evil. Uh, when a with a stare, the Fomorian uses evil eye. But on a failed save, the creature is also cursed with magical deformities. While deformed, the creature has its speed halved and has disadvantage on ability checks, saving throws, and attacks based on strength or dexterity. 
Transformed creatures can repeat the saving throw whenever it finishes a long rest. Ending on a success. It could You could be stuck this way for a while. Yeah, yep. I mean, you could probably, like, remove curse it or See, that's something. the thing, though. I don't know, because every power that says that works says it in the description. I yep. guess it's fair. You're it right. It says, uh, this effect can be uh, can end, uh, can be removed by greater restoration or similar magic. It's usually kind of the standard. That's true. I noticed it was actively lacking here. Yeah. Yep. So a DM could really be douche and be like, nope, oh yeah, you guys went through, gathered the resources, that didn't work. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that was intent, or if that was uh, just an oversight. Yeah. I'm guessing probably intended. Yeah, so... But that was the first thing I, one of the first things I had noticed. So this is a really interesting monster because it can change the characters beyond, uh, mechanically, uh, which can be very sucky. If this happened to the barbarian, oh, that would suck. Be bad. Or the bard. Bard yep. just suddenly cannot be a bard. Oh, no. <laughs> the bard is Your no longer Your barding days are over. Time yep. to retire. <laughs> time, to, time to rest up for a week and pray you roll high enough. Here's your banjo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else on the Fomorian, you guys? Uh, I actually really like the evil eye uh, attack. Yep. Um, I don't know. Anything with, like, uh, any cool, crazy eye powers, yep. always pretty fun. I want to be... And once again, considering how 5e tends to be be a little bit more lenient, if you will, with its effects. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if the evil eye feature was just plain permanent if you got affected by it in the past. Mm-hmm. That would be I awesome. I would not doubt it. That's horrifying. <laughs> you need the wish spell to fix it. <laughs> yeah, you need nothing short of a wish spell will fix your body. Alright, that'll do it for monster number four. Mm-hmm. What about non- monster number three, Austin? Oh, we're sure. backwards, get. <laughs> uh, so, uh... <laughs> I the, third backwards in order of uh, yeah. rating or va- quantity or whatever. Uh, so our third monster that we ended up getting on the poll was the Salamander. Now, Salamanders reside in the fiery regions of the elemental chaos, which, again, we're kind of running with a theme of a lot of elemental creatures don't really get used. Um, they are greedy and cruel creatures, quick to rob or enslave weaker folk. Uh, salamanders prize treasure and gladly serve more powerful masters for the right price. Uh, they frequently launch slave-taking raids into the natural world through planar rifts and elementor, elemental vortices. Um, so the salamander makes for a great villain alongside their fire snakes, which <laughs> is conveniently placed right above their... Uh, <laughs> in, the, in the book? In the book. Uh, both have heated bodies, which means they could set fire to entire villages and forests just by wandering through them and probably walk through lava at the same time. Uh, because of this, they are almost like a walking natural disaster when on the material plane, which is yes. why they were supposed to reside in <sighs> the fiery plane. <laughs> uh, their greatest tool is their tails, uh, because with an attack, they can restrain a creature that is dangerous enough, but once they have the target grappled, they uh, automatically hit the target. It's great against your high AC paladins or uh, your fighters, Absolutely. any of those guys, any of the, the heavy armored boys in your adventuring party. The one thing I really liked about this was the the fact that they're they're pretty strong. Um, they are surprisingly strong. They got a lot. They got a lot going for them. Uh, if you don't know, they are a CR five, uh, which once again makes them really great leaders. The idea of these neutral evil uh, warriors, basically, they're not. I mean, they're intelligence. They got eleven intellect. Um, the idea that their body just burns and stuff around them is affected mm-hmm. is a very cool feature. I think that wildfires and stuff, um, it would be interesting to, that the, the, for the, in my, this is what I was envisioning. Um, the characters get called to help, you know, end a wildfire. 
And it turns out that it is set by the salamander who stumbled through a rift. And who's not even, I mean, obviously he's probably enjoying burning the things around, but he isn't actively trying to burn down the place. He might be looking for to recruit his own little minions. He might have been mm-hmm. sent on a scouting mission by, uh, by uh, Efreet. Whatever his yeah, I was gonna say whatever his uh, superior is. Yeah, you, I think they get enslaved by Efreet. Um, Very are, like, unlucky fire, for them. Fire genies or Dijin or whatever, <laughs> basically, um, which is pretty cool. Um, this one I think really works well when you want to introduce a very good planar aspect to your D and D games mm-hmm. uh, because they aren't natural to the material realm. Uh, and tossing, you, by leading it in with starting with like fire snakes, they have similar heated bodies. So, yep. um, I personally would love to use these as a way, uh, a gateway into the elemental plane where rifts have opened in armies of fire snakes. And I say army loosely because they're not going to form ranks. They're just come, turning they're loose. They're just kind of, right? yeah. Uh, and start creating havoc in a natural kind of setting. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that did catch me interesting is they almost, the salamander is almost like an elemental noble. Uh, the Ifrit has impacted their culture of the free salamanders that want to rule kind of their own societies. Um, right. and they want to, um, kind of create their own like positions of power. Yeah, preferably without the Efreets. <laughs> right. So I think that would make for a great campaign setting, where yeah. it's the the world the land the land burns because these these salamanders have got free of the Efreet and are just trying to find a place to call home and are mm-hmm. str- now. Don't get me wrong; they're still evil bastards. They're still just going to kill yep, everything. They are evil, but it all started because they broke away from slavery. Yep. And so now they're trying to build up their own little culture and find a place where they belong. Um, and that fine, that kind of rides a great gray area in the, the area, the, the realm of heroics because nobody wants to be enslaved. So you can understand them wanting to find a mm-hmm. home and in the same part, they have no problem burning and following their destructive impulses. So I could see a group of adventurers saying, you know what? Sorry, you got to find somewhere else or we're going to, you know, douse you in water. A lot of it. Pretty much. So. Uh, the other thing that, uh, leaning off of that, uh, that whole plot, if you uh, want, uh, that also, um, if you guys intend on doing a very long campaign and kind of uh, going further into like the actual plane of fire and whatnot, you can introduce the Efreets there and you can find that specific Efreet that caused all of these problems. Yes. Assuming that it's I the leader. That. So you, it's still an easy way to segue uh, into your your campaign um so uh again i like to talk about its heated body because i think just free damage is great (laughs) i think it's really annoying and it really puts the pressure on all of your melee combatants does that sound familiar uh yes that was the basis for your capes and crooks it was was the heated ice bodies and Mm -hmm. stuff um so that's pretty cool because it it, it's a retaliatory thing right it punishes Mm -hmm. anybody that attacks um, it is worth noting, and I think this is a re- before I, I want. I know we we're in the mechanics, but they also act as living forges, where they can forge things with their hands. I did not which, know that, which is super cool. So if you want a player to forge a magical item, item, make forcing them to make a deal with a creature like a salamander by letting them forge it with their magical body's aura, hmm. and then combining it with materials sounds like an awesome 
quest for a flame tongue weapon, if you ask me. I didn't even think about it. That's really cool. That's a really good way to right. use them. And apparently Salamanders also hate the uh, Azure, which are basically fire dwarves, but not really. Huh. Yes, it's weird. Yes. I didn't know did it say why. <laughs> it it did, because apparently the Ifrit tried to take over the Azure first, mm. failed, but then took over the Salamanders, but made, like the Azure were responsible for it. So uh, I see. That's cool. Being a quick and dirty version. Hmm. I like it. Okay. Uh, so mechanics, we talked about heated body which means it retaliates and does damage when it takes damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also has heated weapons, so all of its white weapon damage is fire. It has fire type attached to it, yep. which makes sense. It's, I mean, it, anything, it, it can bend metal and heat it with its hands and forge it. It's going to be hot as hell. Yeah. Um, the only other thing, I mean, it, it uses a spear, which means it's got good ranged and melee options. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that really makes it truly interesting is its tail attack. Right. Uh, because that not only does damage, but lets you grapple the target with an escape DC of 14. Yep. Um, and the target is not grappled. It is restrained, which is worse. <laughs> it is far worse. And the salamander can automatically hit with its tail. No more roll to check. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they can get a hold of even a high armor class creature with this, then they don't have to worry about passing the shield and armor. They can just... They just keep hitting, yep. Uh, Which I think is awesome. And it stacks with the heated body, because when you touch something, it... When you yes. touch the salamander, it does damage. So Which not means even it's being restrained by its tail, it's also just burning away. So alive. now not only is it going to take the automatic tail damage, it's going to take the automatic heated body, and that really just makes it fantastic. Yeah, it, uh... It is a very potent monster, uh, for that reason. Right, it is right. very strong in its, uh... In the 1v1, uh, should it get its tail uh, off. But if it doesn't, uh, well, uh, unfortunately, it's not going to perform as as neatly as it would like. Because uh, the spear <laughs> does deal pretty decent damage. It, yeah. It's decent, but it's not super crazy either, mm-hmm. I would think. Well, it, I think it's because it gets to make two attacks and one with its tail. Mm. So it gets to make three attacks. So no, attacks no are... it's only just two. It's one with its spear and one with the tail. Oh, okay, okay. You're right, you're right. So, I mean, uh, I that. It, it's... It's good, but like uh, it, the real uh, the real victory is when it actually gets the restraint. Because when the target's yeah. restrained, it's very difficult to get out of. Um, you have anything, uh, Ian? Before we move on, fun stuff. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, next, we are going to talk about the intellect devourer. I'm going to be honest, you guys. Uh, this is one of my favorite monsters. Um, They're pretty freaky looking. And yeah. And I suspect when Baldur's Gate 3 comes out, these are going to be a lot more popular. Oh, yeah, they're they're all up in that game, dude. You start off on an Illithid Mind Flayer ship, and they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the Intellect Devourer. An Intellect Devourer resembles a walking brain protected by a, a crusty covering and a set of bestial claw legs. Uh, so uh, this foul aberration feeds on the intelligence of sentient creatures, taking over its victim's body. On behalf of its master, which is usually a mind flayer. Yep. Um, these creatures are just terrors. Wherever they go, they skitter across and become a terrible threat. Um, not only do they make fantastic trackers because they have detect sentience, which means mm-hmm. they can they just know where stuff is. Um, but their devour intellect can leave a target stunned almost indefinitely. That's terrible. That's bad. Not to mention their ability to just control the creature as as a whole. So yeah. Um. These things can end players yes. almost randomly. Yes. <laughs> like um, it, it, because like 
at the end of the day, it's still a dice roll, and uh, you can very much so lose that dice roll at yes. a at a whim. <laughs> that has happened. Now, these aren't as strong as some of the other ones at a CR2, but the nature of these little bastards is just a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, so, one thing that I really like about this is I think that you can easily have an entire group of people replaced. So, if you like to write, run court politicking or something like that, mm-hmm. having an entire noble court replaced with intellect devourers, they would never know. Literally never. The Mind Flayer can literally control everything in the workings of the kingdom by just flooding uh, the minds with these intellect devourers, which does kill the person. Um, they're yeah. dead when I'm, when you get your body thief. If I under, if I'm understanding this correctly, I'm almost positive that is how that works. So it um, is crazy stuff. Now, for me, that is a great way to find out that there's a bigger baddie behind it. So, oh, for sure. What if you, the and I'm I'm thinking politicking because in my mind that's the kind of thing mind flayers do, right? Yep. They kind mm-hmm. of they want to. They want to grow their hive mind, basically, and in order to do that, you have to take control and enslave people, and find, taking controlling of a noble court basically allows you to capture some of the, the, the commoners and stuff and just feed them to yeah. their hive and let them slowly get all mind-controlled, and I can totally see this starting off as, man, the people of the noble, ho- noble court are making some crazy-ass uh, um policies right Mm -hmm. like all of a sudden taxes are 50 percent higher nobody gets you know nobody's allowed to you know leave after 10 or some bullshit and you it starts with just trying to investigate you know these strange policies that are going in place yeah and then leads into finding out that they're reporting to mind flayers which means you might just think they're mind controlled um but turns out they've just been replaced entirely and i just think there's so much that can be done with that so remember on the the first monster the gale of dur how that was nature's mimic this is the people mimic nice <laughs> I like uh, that, that is this is what the intellect devourers are they they mimic other people <laughs> yes and they do it very well on um, yeah uh, a little too well <laughs> so do we want to talk about some of the mechanics do you have anything for uh like hooks or flavor you could destroy a party with these things. Oh yes! Oh, it, instantly too. It's not even and like... and honestly, a lot of them will probably be mad about it, and I would not blame them. <laughs> hey, I didn't make the monster, you guys. No, I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say you made it. I'm just saying as a fact. Be would, careful with these things. <laughs> yeah, it would piss some people off, but that's the that's the thing of adventuring, right? Yeah, there's crazy shit out there that's just scary as all hell. So, well, well, I think there's. A, there's a reason why we moved away from in game design from safer die features, and this kind of can potentially fall into a. Well, it camp. does fall. I would say it does get close to falling into that. So let's talk about it in a little more detail. The creature isn't very strong. It understands deep speech, but it can't speak. But it does have telepathy. Oh my god! In the Diablo, the Baldur's Gate three, they gave this thing just the sweetest, most cutest voice. It's all almost like childlike, and it sounds so innocent. And then I pulverized it because I know no matter what it says, it's not. <laughs> yeah, you need to get rid of it. Yep. Um, it is immune to blind, which I thought was pretty cool. So I mean, it has no eyes, so it makes right. sense. Right. <laughs> so it just, I, it, I mean, how does it know what's kind of going on around it? It's got, oh, it's got blind side up to sixty feet, which means it can see all the time, which is fantastic. Um, that's a lot of evilness because imagine walking into a dark room and hearing just the skittering across the floor as these things are running around. 
Um, it has claws. It only does 2d4 or 2 damage. Not very much. The Devour Intellect's going to be the one that gets you because what is the most commonly taken dump stat, you guys? Intelligence. Yeah. It always. really is. <laughs> um, and this little bastard, not only at CR2 can mess up a party, it can destroy parties at much higher levels. Because if you've dumped your intellect, you're not going to increase it at all as you level up. Nope. <laughs> so nope. the intellect devour targets one creature it can see within 10 feet that has a brain. The target must succeed on a DC 12 saving throw against the magic or take 2d10 psychic damage. Also on a failure, roll 3d6. If the total equals or exceeds the target's intelligence score, <laughs> the score is reduced to zero. The target is stunned until it regains at least one point of intelligence. How do you regain a point of intelligence? That's. Uh, I was kind of wondering the same thing myself. I have literally no idea. Which, of course, makes it easier target to, for its body thief ability. Yes, which is where I was going. Yeah. But right now, it gives you no guidance on how to get that back. So once you're you're basically I guess just get a wish spell. I would I would guess that's the study. Uh, well, you can't study if you're <laughs> literally gotta, brain dead. You got to teach him all over again. Here's a fork. Yeah. Um, to me, that is just mind greater blowing. restoration. I don't know if greater restoration works on this. I feel like it would say it if it did. I know. I agree. And um, I'll, I'll look it up. And real that's quick, one though. of the things that I think that there's such a standard verbiage on monsters that when I don't see it. Yeah, it makes you really wonder. It makes wonder. me really wonder. Even the, yep. the body thief specifically calls out using the wish spell only. Um, so for yeah, me, it, does. it sounds like you have to... Yep, restoration should work. Because it does say any reduction to one's target ability scores. There you go. So once again, <laughs> oh, so that's strange go. that it doesn't actually say that in the, the mechanic. But the spell mentions it, so... Yes. So that, At so least great we have restoration that. Would work. But that's still a fifth that's level spell. That's a fifth spell. level spell. This is a CR2. This is CR2, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. I remember yeah, not uh, not ideal to say the least. Um, yeah. So, mind you, the person is stunned. They basically can't move. They can't do anything at this point. As a DM, I would encourage you to give them an NPC or or something to control while their character is brain dead, or have them you know figure out something because otherwise that player is going to be out of the game, and you don't want that. Um, not that their character can't be out of the game until there's a thing found. Some adventures may be like, well. Billy's gone. Let's go hire somebody. Yeah. <laughs> well, I only mention this because we encountered something similar. But in my Monday game, one of my players did get petrified by a, by a Medusa, mm -hmm. and it's like they still only have fourth level spells. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and, and on top of that, is at the beginning of the uh, adventure that night. It's like I don't want to have this player sit around and do nothing. Yep. So I basically MacGuffined a way to unpetrify him within said adventure within the night. <laughs> Oh, well, that's a way to do it. Well, there's a Tao, which is like a elemental genie. Is that the Earth one? Yes. Oh, oh. But but basically, like, and since it's like a, a neutral creature who apparently can be bribed, I just made him go, you know what? Pay me. I know a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> I can go get him. <laughs> All right. Um, it is worth noting that rolling yeah. a 3d6, that, and most people, it's their dunk stat. Yep. It is not hard to get an 8 or a 10, so... No, 12s are average, so... Alright, so Body Thief. Uh, the Intellect Devourer initiates an intelligence contest Excuse me, with an incapacitated human within 5 feet of it. This would be the stunned creature, or somebody that's unconscious, or somebody <laughs> that is sleeping, or somebody that is incapacitated. Uh, if it wins the contest, once again, dumb stat, 
The intellect devour magically consumes the target's brain, teleports into the target's skull, and takes control of the target's body. While inside the creature, the intellect devour has total cover against attacks originating from outside the body. It keeps its, uh, it retains its intelligence, wisdom, and charisma score, as well as understanding deep speech and its telepathy. Um, but it gains all the straight, straight uh, traits of the adopted form. Uh, if its host body's HP drops to zero, the intellect devourer must leave. I think it's really cool they included a protection from good or evil cast on the body drives the intellect devourer out. The intellect devourer is forced out um, if the target regains the devoured brain by means of the wish. So you can force the intellect devourer out of the creature, but the creature's still dead. <laughs> it's yeah. gone. If anything, um, the intellect devourer kind of keeps it alive. Yes. So to me, that is just terrifying. And why aren't we using more of these? Um, I think that you can certainly... Um, because you can have a TPK with these easily. Yes. I, and I see, <laughs> I see this almost being a way to create like adventurer arenas. Where yeah. like all the adventurers uh, get put into... Uh, get captured by these things and they put on battles. With adventurers. You could totally do a PvP arena game like Ian does regularly, yep. but all the adventurers are just the corpses of adventurers that have been taken over by intellect devourers. And they just use their corpses for fun and entertainment for the mind flayers. Oh, that dear. sounds awesome. Get, <laughs> the one crack that was made in a chat was like, uh, I'm actually surprised intellect devourers with their detect sensitivity can detect barbarians. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> They, yeah, okay, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> to the final, the number one monster. Ian, would you like to tell us about it? The Rust Monster. They roam caverns and dungeons, sinking metals to devour, making them a nightmare for any civilized creature d dwelling underground. These strange, normally docile creatures corrode ferrous metals, aka iron, and then gobble them up the, the rust they create. In doing so, they have ruined the armor, shields, and weapons of countless adventurers. <laughs> Side note, when I ran a uh, Forge Domain cleric, he ran away on, from these things on site. <laughs> know, you know. No, 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 no! <laughs> the Rust Monster is a very interesting creature, as they generally aren't very aggressive, and they aren't out to harm people in most cases, they just want to eat. It just happens they want to eat the stuff that most people are carrying. <laughs> <laughs> very unfortunate. Yep. And this makes them more of a menace and an infestation than anything else. Their rust metal feature and corroding feature of their antennae means they can make anything metal into food. Most people are likely to use this to damage adventurers' armor and weapons permanently. And they can be used to destroy carts, wagons, towers, or any other structure that may be built with metal. A prison escape of dangerous creatures or villains might be taken as a complex plot by using some big bad. And in the end, it turns out it's just a hungry rust monster. <laughs> I want to point out... When we ramp up at stat block, is that yes, it mentions that it can uh, damage any uh, non magical item up to negative five, any more than it's destroyed. In past editions, it did not matter if it was magical or not. Ah, that's a that's just much saying. <laughs> so, I really like this thing because for a myriad of different reasons. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the fact that it's not necessarily something that's malicious. Um, means for a lot of, means a potential, a uh, whole new style of adventure where the players become exterminators for these. By the way, these things are like the size of cats or dogs. Like, 
Uh, <laughs> they're medium. terrifying. They're medium. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, the, when you see them in a bunch of some of the pictures, they're a little bigger than a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but that to me means that they're just these wild little critters running around eating shit. And the fact that it destroys metal beyond just the weapons and adventurer stuff, um, yeah. this should be like an ongoing scourge for uh, for uh, blacksmiths, right? Yeah. Like they have to hire, yeah. an, I see a bla- uh, corporations of blacksmiths hiring nonstop guards to just keep these things away. Like they have exterminators. They, yeah, they have rust monster exterminators. Bring and the they druids. run around with they run around with wooden shields and clubs. Yeah, I mean, know? yeah, or a dru- <laughs> in a leather jerkin, right? Or a druid, or a druid, druid will work too. Druids don't don't harm creatures generally, do they? But they don't use metal. That's true. Um, I think this is really cool because to me. You can do more with this than just sending it after your characters. And I, I mm. think that that's what makes it most interesting. Um, but what's really cool is if you... So, I like the idea of a player saying, what do I know about Rust Monsters? Give me... What is that? Would it be Arcana? It's a monstrosity. Is it Arcana? I guess, yeah. Or would it be Nature? Nature, probably. Somewhere in between. I can see both. Um, anyways, give me a check. Uh, you know that it's drawn to Rust. That's its thing, right? Because not every character is going to have encountered one, right? we got to keep Presumably. that on there. Players know what it does, but the character may not. says, well, we're trying to fight this big giant army. Um, could I lure some of these bastards like into the, ar- into the army at night? And then all the army is fighting off these to maintain all their equipment and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that uh, reminds me of, you ever watch uh, The Mummy? Yep. Yeah. You see where they got all the little scarabs that just go over top of a body and then it's gone and they just keep oh, on yeah. going. Could you imagine hundreds of these things? Like like locusts, right? Like every so yeah. often they pop up and just become these terrifying waves of destruction. Leaving everything else okay except for everything metal, which is all the weapons, the armor, uh, some of the infrastructure. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a bigger problem than anything else and could be an entire exterminating thing. Um what are uh, what are some? Uh, we obviously talked about the uh, the 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 mechanic or, or the the what it does. It's only a half CR, so they're not that strong. They can no. be taken out pretty easily by a, a decent level adventurer. Yeah. But the fact that it weakens items permanently um, is a fun way to surprise the players. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine waking up after a long rest and finding something gnawed on your sword, and it's just like. All jagged, you gotta take it in, all <laughs> broken and shit to fight with. You're mm-hmm. grabbing your forge to main cleric and saying, please fix this. <laughs> That's where mending would be really cool. Yeah, even mending, you, it does work. Even if you just did it as flavor, you guys wake up and your armor set is all yeah. got chunks taken out of it. And your uh, got... Sorry, dude, mending's not gonna work. It requires all of the pieces right there and some of it's oh, completely no. gone. Oh, <laughs> you gotta be so, following, yeah. following the rust monster trying to collect its turds to, to, to reforge your blade. Uh. <laughs> um... This is a pretty straightforward creature, but once again, they can cause a lot of havoc against um, the adventurers, especially when you're in caverns or uh, uh, subterranean, because if you toss these at them early on in an adventure and they have to finish (laughs) the rest of it and keep running into these, by the time they get to the boss, they're going to be beating them with sticks. (laughs) <laughs> just don't even have weapons and armor. Oh my gosh. Just running at it with their bare hands. Like, eats all the arrowheads off of their yeah, arrows. Just... So your arrows now do blunt damage, and they do one less die. <laughs> or oh one dice God. lower of damage. That so is so funny. Alright, uh, do you guys got anything else on this? This is pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot to it. Yeah, they're just um, kind of random creatures. 
but they're 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 nuisance they're nuisance yep. creatures and you mm-hmm. should totally use it as them even if you give them one hit point and they go down really quick whatever um if you strike against one of these things it just starts damaging everything it's great yeah so it's part of the fun anything else you guys that's pretty straightforward uh please if you're following along you're watching and you didn't you disagree with this list or you thought of something we didn't Please uh, share and let us know. You can email us at criticenemy at gmail.com. Toss it into the chat, what have you. I yeah. love hearing people's thoughts. Maybe something we missed. And as we said before, there are lots of creatures that you don't see very often. Like, even as I said before, if the show started, when was the last time you encountered a phoenix? Yes. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> there, and there's, there's, there's a lot that are like that. So you make, you yep. make a really great point. Um, obviously we didn't include everything as a small group of people and this is what we came up with. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, with that, how about we move on to our Unearthed Tips and Tricks. Oh, I wanted to do an honorable mention of the Flame Skull. That's awesome. Uh, awesome monster. Those are awesome. <laughs> they are awesome. Uh, I want to play a villain who just launches Flame Skulls at people. And now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Our first character concept today is... Our only only character concept today. Our Our first UTT item is our character concept, Ella Icy Touch Leland. And for her description, she is an attractive woman with an athletic build. Her upper body flexes with years of training wielding a great weapon. Her capper hair is highlighted by streaks of white. Her heavy leather jacket extends down to her knees and fits over a gleaming breastplate. Upon her back, a great sword longer than she stands tall. So, in other words, a lot of uh, standard issue barbarians, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> standard issue barbarian. Or, uh, or your average anime character. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Alright. And personality-wise, Ella's military training has had a significant impact on her, trained to follow orders day in and day out. She approaches every task with the same high degree of military precision, even the smallest detail of tying her shoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> now for her history. After her small village was attacked by gnolls and raised to the ground, she vowed to never feel helpless again. She vanished into the heart of a zealous army full of righteous energy tempered with military discipline. And her motivation is to protect and serve. She trained mercilessly and shares that training with others who wish to learn. She doesn't wish for anyone to feel helpless as she did on that day. She will lay down her life to protect those who cannot protect themselves. It's a good character concept. Yep. This is, uh, she is literally the protagonist of her own story. Yep. yep. There needs to be more characters like those. Yes, there needs to be. I like this. I love the name, Icy Touch. That's fantastic. Yep. She has like an icy great sword, and that's why it's called that. Yeah, it doesn't actually talk about why she's called that at all, huh? No. Nope. That's that. See, that is some opportunity for flavoring right there. Um, or maybe just like for some reason, like she's cold to the touch. Maybe yeah. she accidentally made a warlock fact, <laughs> or it could be her demeanor, or that. That's yeah. a good one too. Um, it's pretty straightforward. I like that it works for both monsters, NPCs, and, uh, Even players. Yeah, you can put this anywhere. For sure. Alright, let's, uh, that'll do it for our character concept. Our monster variant is the Aerial Lancer. Um, you can use any Birdman or Aarakocra. I had to call it something else because I am going to publish it, so 
you know, an Aarakocra or whatever. Um, so, in order to build the Aerial Lancer, you're going to start with the origin stat block, the V-Rock, uh, which is an awesome monster, by the way. Um, I loved running those in Descent into Avernus. Um, <laughs> you're going to have to remove some features so we can ensure it's balanced and it makes sense. So, it's going to lose everything related to being a demon. Uh, yeah, d- you dark know. vision, telepathy, spores, beat, blah, 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 all of it. Yeah. Um, we're going to give it some new features. We're going to give it a lance. But it's going to get an extra long lance because it flies, right? So it gets a plus mm-hmm. six to attack and a 15-foot reach with its lance um, for 12d12 plus three piercing damage. That's a long-ass reach. The creature flies. You are bone. <laughs> you just said 12d12, I'm pretty sure. 12d12? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of damage on a lance. Plus three. <laughs> I was like, I think yeah. I just heard 12d12. <laughs> I had so- to like reprocess that real quick. <laughs> So I was thinking when I was designing this, I was trying to think what would be really cool that would fit the theme of a flying Lancer in moving at supersonic speed and breaking the sound barrier, creating thunder. So I gave it the Thunder Lance. It recharges on a five or six. The Lancer can emit a bursting thunderclap that deafens and damages those nearby. Creatures within 15 feet, AOE, must mm-hmm. succeed on DC 14 con save or take 36D8D8 thunder damage and be deafened permanently. On a success, a creature takes half as much damage and isn't deafened. The deafness lasts until it is removed with lesser restoration or similar magic. Awesome. I love that. Yep. It's really strong. Uh, And of course, because it's an aerial warrior, it's going to be practiced in in dealing with people. So we're going to give it counter parry. Uh, The Lancer adds two to its AC against one melee attack as a reaction that would hit it. Um, to do so, the Lancer must see the attacker and be wielding its lance or a weapon. Mm -hmm. Um... If this bonus caused the attack to miss, the Lancer may use a make a single Lance attack as part of the same reaction. So now we've got Counter Parry, we've got Thunder Lance, we have a Flying Birdman with a ginormously large um, Lance. What do you guys think? Fighting this on a giant airship would be awesome. <laughs> Fighting against these things would suck. I mean, oh, yeah? yes, but it'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it sucked, but it would be aw- it'd be awesome sucking. I got it. Um, I like this because it it forces the uh, target into melee, but keeps them out of range, mm-hmm. which is something that can be just devastating to player characters who aren't willing to take the initiative. Yeah. Um, for me, um, that means a lot of different things, but most importantly, readying an action. Yep. Um, readying action is key when dealing with something you have trouble hitting. Um, yeah, but also helps if you can actually reach them. <laughs> well, that's definitely true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you did make it 15 feet. But so. what I'm saying is, is hiding somewhere and then saying, um, all right, when I can, I, I duck behind something, and when I can see the enemy, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw a spear so you can catch him by surprise. Um, yeah. Or you're going to climb up on something, and as soon as it passes to attack Billy, I'm going to jump onto it, you know? Yeah. Uh, you really need to think outside the box when dealing something that deals melee damage outside of your reach. So Also, yeah. you can, yeah, grappling these things, great idea. Uh, because grappling anything that's flying means it's going to no plummet flying. to the ground. And then you can get your rope or whatever you got and tie that bitch down <laughs> and say no more flying. Turn my it? aerial lancer into a hog. Yeah. Just hog die him. I'm, I'm going to kill it. Like, <laughs> I got to get rid of it, man. What about you? You got anything? I'm just flashing back to our to a Descent of Evidence campaign with a different group where we're all paladins. <laughs> you know how hard it is to <laughs> do stuff when everyone's got bonuses to saving throws? Yeah, but we're also all melee only, and we're dealing with flying creatures with range attacks. That was fun. 
That yeah, fun. you know. Yeah. You know how that is. Because Justin's a douche like that and takes advantage that people can't fly. Though you learned, didn't you play, uh, you picked your next character could fly, didn't he? Well, yeah. Winged Merle? boots are just useful, period, though. Right, right. I don't care what character you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, any other point. touch on the aerial lancer? Nope. I think that was yep. pretty good. Yep. All right. I'll take the encounter of the podcast here, which is called Gathering Rumors. <laughs> Uh, the characters have been hired by local guards to capture an escaped prisoner. Wow. The guards know the prisoner, Durbin Redclaw, a werewolf, is hiding in the city. Uh, he leads a local gang known as The Pack. Uh, the guards have blocked off all the exits and have patrols watching for anyone leaving the city. They need help tracking Durbin down, though. Characters can go into public gathering places to attempt to obtain information. After 2d6 hours, the characters sifting through rumors can make a DC-15 charisma, deception, or persuasion... Or intelligence investigation check. The characters must succeed on four skill checks before acquiring two failures. This may sound familiar. Uh, <laughs> on a total success, which means no failures, uh, they learn all the following pieces of information. On a success, which is with some failures, uh, they learn only two pieces of information. And on a failure, Durbin and his crew set traps and ambush the characters when they arrive. Nice. Notice that they still progress through the story, guys. That yes, is something that is, you need to do whenever you're creating these encounters. Yes. Uh, Durbin's absence has hurt his gang's reputation. Oh, sorry. These are some of the informative points, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, Durbin's absence has hurt his gang's reputation. Other gangs have been encroaching on his territory, and it's only a matter of time before there's another power struggle played out in the streets. Uh, another point here being, Fifth Street is a bustling center of trade and the territory of the Shadow Fangs. They have become emboldened since Durbin has been put away and are readying for where to take out the pack once and for all. Roden Street is where you'll find crafting facilities for the town, and it's Tur Durbin's gang's turf. His enforcers are still squabbling over who should lead. For now, they all have an uneasy truce with each other. Uh, and lastly, some of Durbin's gang were reportedly hanging around a well at a very early hour west of the market. They didn't look like they were getting a drink and threatened, excuse me, any, uh, threatened anyone who came too close. The well has a large cavern uh, with a secret hideout for Durbin while he lays low. The characters can meet with the Shadow Fangs to gather info contained in the final bullet point info. Should they get a total success, they will have gathered enough to locate and capture Durbin in his hide hidden well hideout. Uh, so the first thing that I kind of immediately noticed uh is there's a power struggle going on mm -hmm. and if they uh the player characters which i know sometimes i don't if <laughs> uh if they actually do something about that you can kind of you know it's the whole uh i scratch your back and you scratch my back and we'll take care of this yep. problem together yep yep you're taking kind of the the lesser of two evils presumably uh <laughs> and trying to get uh get rid of the the main bad guy there which is durbin in this case uh, now, granted, I assume that the, he's meant to only be put in jail, so I assume if you kill this man, probably not the greatest idea, uh, depending on where or which town he's located in. It does say capture. In. It does say capture. So, the, the player characters do have to make note of that. You have to incapacitate, not kill. <laughs> Frog smash! <laughs> yes. Define capture. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Of course, it does, and there's a lot of, like, uh, little things in here as well, so we do have, you know, Fifth Street is a bustling center of trade, mm -hmm. and, you know, even though it's territory of the Shadow Fangs, they might be able to purchase some other items in there as well, right, right. while you're going around. Uh, again, there's a crafting facility, so if you have, like, a Forge Domain Cleric, which I know is probably the most common one, uh, you may <laughs> be able to do something about that. Right, right. And, uh, of course, in the, you know, if you're 
party adventuring party is particularly uh well built towards violence uh the last bullet point which is some of durbin's gang is reportedly hanging around a well uh just send those guys there no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <All right. laughs> go and go and hurt them the plan b is now plan a <laughs> so um well before i get into it do you have anything that uh you want to touch on for that i just often may think of the old phrase if balance is not solving your problems you're not using enough of it <laughs> <laughs> what is, in star wars they have a is what is it aggressive negotiations yes yeah. i believe is what they said <laughs> so um what did you guys think of the layout of this adventure so it's interesting. um it's different in that um it almost is kind of in the format of a skill challenge it is um by offering uh feedback based on the investigation Mm-hmm. They gain more information. If they completely succeeded, they know exactly where they need to go. Exactly. So it's interesting to offer an idea that if they roll really, really well, they learn where they got to go and can bypass everything else. For sure. Um, the other way is if they don't do well enough, you give them information. Now they lead to an ambush and their crappy investigation skills has now just punished them. Mm-hmm. So I like stuff like this. I, this is a format you'll probably see more of because I think it works really, really well. Um, and I love the political intrigue tied to the, the, the hunt. So, cause uh, we, you are well aware in this case that no, even, well, unless you, maybe you failed the skill challenge, maybe not, but, uh, you are aware that there is another gang mm-hmm. that is uh, trying to attempt to take, uh, power because there's a, there's a, there's a vacuum in there right now. Right, right. Urban is in jail. Well, he was in jail. Uh, <laughs> so and they don't there, want him getting out, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's. It really does play on w- how gray your player characters yeah. are. And the thieves really can shine here. The rogue can really shine in this Oh, aspect. absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think that's great. Especially, like, if I was to run this, several of these, I would in- specifically say the rogue noticed uh, this information scrawled in, you know, thieves can't on a building. Is like a or if they're, or like, a criminal background mm-hmm. as well, oh, and yeah, they know all of the underlying, like, uh, ways to kind of get around the city, right. like... It, you could even like uh say that they would just simply know yeah. that that where the hideout is they it could be popular because i mean if durbin is clearly named uh clearly he has some notoriety and sure. if he has the criminal background he probably has some contacts and knows where that hideout is right, whether right. he did a job for them or whatever it doesn't matter the idea is that it's there <laughs> yep. so very cool very cool i think that'll do it for our Encounter get uh where about rumors. Yep. Ah, ah where? Because <laughs> he's a werewolf or where at werewolf. That's funny. Uh, I slay myself. Our magic silver. <laughs> Our magic item today is the stone mailed armor. It's a uh, armor. Obviously, it's the name. <laughs> yeah. Very rare. Recurs attunement. Oh man, very rare armor. Oh boy. What does it do? The stunning surface on the sigil-covered armor appears as if it's carved from rock itself. Hmm. While wearing this armor, you have the following awesome benefits. You <laughs> get advantage on saving throws against being petrified. Man, I wish That's I had nice. that. <laughs> but I'll say, also, I appreciate that. Yeah, right? yeah I could have <laughs> used that one a minute ago. <laughs> you have advantage on dexterity stealth checks made to hide in rocky terrain. You gain an ac- You can use an action to cast the melt into stone spell. I made my characters hate the spells of passion in the stone temple in <laughs> Princess of the Apocalypse. May just kept on using it as an escape. <laughs> it's worth noting that that says that's pretty much at will. Yep. And you can use an action to cast the stone skin spell. 
once used, this property of the armor cannot be used again until dawn. And stone skin is uh, very nice. Uh, I- Resistance, anybody? Yep. Wow. Okay. So, uh, meld into stone. Yep. Uh, just being able to do this at will makes this pretty crazy, guys. Almost yeah. like it's a very rare item. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, just saying, guys, uh, you literally just get to say see you later and hide in stone pretty much whenever you want uh because let me tell you you can just like if you're just getting chased by a bunch of guards and you just decide to sink into the floor what do they do nothing exactly that is impressive (laughs) (laughs) and the duration by the way is oh i don't know eight hours see or anything while you're in there yeah but like you can make a nap you know like (laughs) And has this way to take a short rest and long rest, man. Um, Does it last that long? Eight hours. Yeah, long rest. You can take a long rest in there. Yep. <laughs> you can take a whole nap inside the What are you going to do? I'm going to go get yep. stoned. I'm just going to go lay yep. down. Yep. And uh, stone skin, you resist uh, non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing. So, yeah. And uh, you did ask if it's used for a specific type of armor. Yeah. It's not. Uh, it's not. You, nope. can, you can apply it to anything. Um, I thought about making it specific, wow. but I was just like, the DM can decide that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, I think that'll do it for the stone meld armor, our magic item. Pretty good one this time around. I yep. like that a lot. I like the flavor. I, I love his this time around as if everyone else I make is just garbage. Thanks. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, <laughs> that's what it sounds when like. It's out, when I get to see, like, stuff that, okay, so here's why I say it this time. And it's because when I get to see spells that make the armor or like the thing make more sense to it. So in this case, it is a stone armor, but being able to like meld through the, the fucking earth, that's cool as hell. Or walk through walls. Or walk through walls. Like literally, like you, you can do some really weird kind of fun stuff with this that doesn't inherently make it strong. Where are we going to get in? I'm what about getting into the doors? I'm imagining a whole party with these. <laughs> doors. Where we're going, we don't need doors. He just walks through the wall. <laughs> Mind you, he can't take other people, so... Yeah, he can only go by himself, but <laughs> right, it's still impressive. Our, uh, our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is DM etiquette, you guys. This exists. DMs have a responsibility to conduct themselves ethically, <clears throat> not only because they are bolden, uh, they are beholden to the same standards of decency as the rest of the table, but because of the inherent power their position kind of holds. Mm-hmm. As a DM, you are the one who should be setting the gold standard for the rest of the group. Because you are the one who is most often looked to as the social enforcer of respect at the table. Trust is an essential component to being an effective dungeon master. Yes. As a DM, that the player's trust can go, uh, uh, can get away with um, trying audacious things in combat, even if they seem harsh at first, because the players know the DM isn't going to do it out of malice. And mm-hmm. sometimes the dice roll how they roll. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, that's very important. Uh, conversely, if a players don't trust the trust you as the dungeon master, they are less likely to be willing to try less structured styles of play, and be willing uh, and will le- be less engaged with the narrative. Um, having respect for the players is the key component of establishing trust among them. Yeah. Now, don't assume that just because you were already friends with them that they have full confidence in your ability to run a game or even uh, run a fight. Mm-hmm. Note that this uh, we that we're covering the most important aspects of DM etiquette, regardless of combat specifically. Um, 
when it comes to being a dungeon master, we have a lot, a lot on us of work to do. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing to know is the fact that if you don't, if you can't run a table with adequate kit, yep, you're going to end up scaring people away or not developing uh, animosity towards you, yep. even away from the game. And I think one of the worst attitudes a DM can have, and this will push players away quickly, is I am the DM, I am always right. Yes. And I've found that DMs, and I'm applying this to myself too, mind you, because I run games, a right. DM that who can admit they were wrong earns trust very quickly among your players, actually. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, also, uh, uh, with the line of, if your players don't trust you and they're less likely to be willing to give you, you know, less structured styles of play and be less engaged with the narrative, not only that, they're, if you manage to just, like, you know, get rid of their player characters and stuff, they're less likely to give to give you uh, more interesting characters to play the game with, yeah. now, which means there's less uh, hooks to engage uh, the players uh, because they're giving you just these really, like, half-assed, just... Auto-generated uh, characters. Yeah, of... Hi, I'm, I don't know, beer drinker dude, barbarian number 23, uh, and great, now his only hook is that he drinks. That's great. I'm glad that I know nothing else about this character. He is a stat stick. And we, I think as all players of D&D, don't want that uh, experience. And, And let's face it, DMs with a bad etiquette tend to not have players for very long. Yep. True. That is very true. Um, we... I've walked away from numerous games because of stuff like that. For sure. And you've heard some of my horror stories, and yeah. Justin has shared some of his horror stories. Absolutely. Um, I think that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Um, our player tip of the podcast is... Don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick! And you can avoid dickitude by... Good metagaming. Yes, oh, I know it's a more. thing. I know it's so weird. We had an entire episode about this. <laughs> we did. <laughs> so, despite the fact that blanket negative connotation that metagaming is given may be unfair, it is. at least in some situations, uh, there are instances of it <laughs> that a few this. would disagree mm-hmm. are bad. One player getting an unfair advantage over another, the game becoming less fun because one player points out everything that is happening on a meta level, and breaking the group social contract with regards to it when it is okay to metagame. With that said, there are good types of metagaming, or at least potentially good. Uh, This includes pro-social discussion among the players about the game, discussion that encourages party cohesion, or gentle advice to new players figuring out how their characters work. Fun fact, that is indeed called metagaming. You are talking, you are being meta about the game. That is what metagaming means, guys. Yeah, I really don't think people realize how many things fall into the realm of metagaming. Like, even simply asking... Hey, what party rolls have you guys got filled so far? That's metagaming. Yeah, uh, it's really crazy that, you know, because... <laughs> oh, no healer? I'll play a cleric. Yeah, uh, so gaming, uh, without the meta word attached to it, is you are actively playing the game and you are role-playing your character. Metagaming is I'm talking about the game outside the table. Um, at all. Yep, literally at all. If I'm talking about like, oh man, you guys like, remember that session that we could have done? Like, let's talk about how we could have done better. That's metagaming all of a sudden. Yep, because you're That's talking about I the encourage. game that <laughs> you are referring to the game outside of you playing the game. Therefore, yep. you are metagaming. 
it's that easy, guys. It's you don't know you're doing it, but you're doing it. Yeah. One thing that's always bothered me, and I know some people are sticklers for this. I'm not because I don't understand it. If we're playing a battle and the players are actively strategizing, and the DM turns and says, "Oh, you only got six seconds. You can't do that, dude." They're all engaged in the conversation. Let them talk. Let yeah. them strategize, and then use that against them. <laughs> And then, uh, as DM, you can decide, oh, that plan was really good, so I'll let him have it, or that plan's dumb, I'm gonna fucking kill him for it. <laughs> Careful. Uh, yep. Uh, Maybe right. not kill them, but you'll punish them for it. Well, sometimes they'll, uh, they talk in character in combat, and that's funny, because then the villains can hear, and that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's like, But hey. if they're, they're actively engaged, let yeah. them, let them enjoy it. And that's part of the fun. Yeah. And the way I see it, too, let's be real here. D&D, at the end of the game... Day is a game. Don't yep. be surprised when people treat it as such. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of uh, you know that easy. Yeah, it's a game, guys. Who would have guessed that you know <laughs> that one of the best tabletop role playing games, games. Uh, <laughs> is uh, you know it's just a fucking game, guys. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. it's like there's not pro D and D. As much as you guys want to believe that, that I'm a pro D and D player. You, you know a pro D and D player. I'm a pro D and D player. Are you a pro D and D player? I'm pro. How is it? Uh, how are you a pro D and D player? I make money playing D and D. I guess that's fair. Yeah, I guess you're a pro. Not now. a very good pro. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm in dead last. Like I'm the racer in dead last. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to but make a living out of it. still in the race. So right, I'm still in the race. <laughs> Not like all the other million people around, right? Um, oh, that's good. So that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't be, be a dick. dick. You can avoid dickitude by acknowledging metagaming isn't all bad, and there's good parts of it. Yeah, um, it's that easy. <laughs> All right, before we uh, close out today, we have a gift to give away that I'm going to give away. I'm super excited. Oh, boy. Um, To enter the rush of combat is a love that almost all barbarians thirst for. Whether they're crushing a goblin skull with their maul, or splitting a kobold in twain with their great axe, or piercing a mighty lion with a spear... They all have the drive and the certain, uh, and certainly the means to conquer their foe. However, there are many barbarian cultures who believe the best way to sate their thirst is to engage their foe with their bare hands. They feel the crushing of their skull beneath their knuckles. The breaking of their rib under their feet brings them to near ecstasy. Today's product <laughs> giveaway is... The Barbarian Path of the Brawler. Woo! Let's talk about beating the shit out of stuff with your hands. This four and a half, uh, four and a half star silver bestseller on DMs Gold is brought to you by those of us here at Crit Academy. Yep. Oh man, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Who uh, our winner today is Darnark sixty eight. If you didn't win, no worries. You can head on over to CritAcademy.com and subscribe for your chance to win. Also, if you subscribe right now, you go and subscribe right now, you'll also get our best-selling challenge accepted um, product skill challenges for 5th edition. Highly Whoa. recommend it. It'll take your game to the next level. 
and your players will love you for I it. I can't believe we're getting such a cool thing, guys. Guys, yeah, it's right. a subscribe. Yeah, so do it. Do it. Do it now. It's, it's so good. I'm not going to lie. Every time I read the phrase, fighting with your bare hands, I'm like, are talking like bear claws or like actual bears for hands? Or... <laughs> oh, really? You went that way? Yes. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right. Uh, that'll do it for our show today. Yeah. Um... So uh, please join us on our next episode. Enhance your Dungeons and Dragons explorations with hex crawls. Do you guys know what hex crawls are? I actually don't. The term sounds familiar. I just don't know why. Oh, yeah. I'm super excited. This was actually something that. Um, if you don't know, a hex crawl is a game structure that started in first edition and faded away after second and later. And it's a way huh. of mapping travel across great world maps. And it's super fun. Ooh. It actually did make a slight comeback in the Tomb of Annihilation book. Oh. Um, I didn't know that when I just picked this, so now I gotta go pick up the Tomb of Annihilation <laughs> book because I don't have it. Uh, but oh boy. I'm really excited. So awesome that yeah so yeah, hopefully okay. you guys will come join yeah, us next join week us at 7 p.m uh eastern on sunday I'd... um wow if you enjoy the show and you want to support us please visit critacademy.com pick up some of our uh products even maybe pick up the uh the, the brawler i highly recommend it or our recent release the memorable monsters book uh we got lots of goodies we have almost like 40 30 or 40 products now yeah, um, we've got a lot of options, so please go and uh, check them out, or just subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah, uh, uh, and be sure to, of course, uh, follow us on all of our social media, like our Twitter, our Facebook, and our TikTok. YouTube, and TikTok, which has been growing at an astronomical rate, yeah, honestly. this dude says we have no life. Yeah, that's okay. Do you think he'd be devastated to know that I've been married for 10 years, my house is paid off, and I got a really good job? Well, that's really, uh, <laughs> well, that really paints a stark picture for me, because well, mine's about the opposite. <laughs> Well, because something about 90% of my life is work and sleep, you're not wrong. Right, right. <laughs> hey, man, All that's right. okay. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. I love shit like that. <laughs> like, like, hey, you if know, you even knew, you had those. You have no idea, dude. Literally no idea, but that's okay. Because honestly, don't. my life's wild. Yeah, everyone's, mine's like a giant side quest because I keep running away from the main quest. <laughs> <laughs>